Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And in this episode, we are going to get into one of the hallmarks of sovereign inheritance planning, which is the listing of your assets, both digital and non-digital. Creating a roadmap for all of your assets is really critical for your heirs to be able to know what you have, where your assets are stored, and also how to access them. So Matt, before we get into uh, the details of this plan, why do you think this roadmap is so important? Well, I think that it's important because the biggest problem that we see when we talk to our clients um, is that a lot of them just don't have a solid overview of where everything is. And when you ask them the question, what would happen if something happened to you unexpectedly? Um, we hear pretty regularly that you know their spouse might be able to piece it together and, and find where everything is. Um, but then when you jump to the next kind of catastrophic scenario where there's a simultaneous death, uh, it gets really fuzzy because who's going to know where to find the things. So we see that as an area where if your heirs have a clear listing of what they're looking for and where it is and how can they get to it, that's really going to be helpful uh, when the time comes for them to have to find those assets. Yeah. I would add to that, that I think a lot of people, don't even know what assets they actually have, depending on obviously the the number of different assets they have. They probably know what they have of each particular thing. But for a lot of people that have been buying crypto, they may have picked up a bit of this somewhere, a bit of that somewhere. They may have picked up an NFT somewhere. Uh, even if they invested in some type of uh, alternative traditional investment, maybe it was a, just a small piece and it's... It's not that that information is not kept in a great place. And I know that I've had situations before in my life where I've had to go through and list my various assets for different things, whether it's banking or or something else like that. And Mm -hmm. I forget that I have this thing here or that thing there. And uh, I'm certainly no billionaire that I have, you know, just assets that I I can't keep track of. So I, I think for this, that, it's difficult for a regular person or for an individual to know everything they've got or to, to rattle it off without seeing a listing there. It's not that if they thought it through, they couldn't list it, but just on the fly to know what assets you have. And with that, it's probably, it's even more difficult for any of your loved ones to, to have a complete listing of what you have. And, and by making a pretty simple list of everything it pays enormous dividends for your, for your heirs to know uh, what you have and what needs to be done in order to uh, to have access to them. And some of them, you know, if you have something that's worth, let's just say, uh, I'm just going to make up something like a $50 NFT, maybe they don't want to necessarily chase that down for hours and hours on how to gain access to it. But if you had 50 Bitcoin, uh, which would be worth uh, about $2.5 million right now, then that is something they would want to chase down for sure. Right. So there's um, there's a varying degree of, of 
necessity in terms of what you need to list out. Although we tell people to err on the side of listing it out just so that you know that it's there. Um, but I would say arguably this is one of the most important parts of the entire sovereign inheritance planning process because the root of that process is to be able to get access to the assets. And forgetting step number two of sovereign sovereign inheritance planning, which is to make sure the assets get to where they're supposed to go, um, you're never going to get to step two if you can't access the assets in step one. And so by doing this, what you're really doing is laying out the foundation for your heirs to be able to get to anything that you have and not to spend time spinning their wheels and trying to remember or track down every single thing that you may possibly have. And, uh, you know, we've talked about a friend of ours who, whose dad sadly passed away a couple of years ago and, uh, had been investing in various different things for years and years. And, you know, when, when the time came, they knew he had a lot of assets and they spent months just trying to track down what they were not forget, forget, where they were and how they were stored, um, they didn't necessarily even know what they were. So that is a uh, that's a big problem for somebody, especially somebody that has you know a sizable portfolio that might have a lot of different types of assets in it. And and I know we're going to get in some slides here in a minute, but I think that people see there's a lot of benefits that come out of of you personally seeing what accounts you have, what assets you have, and we're going to talk about some things that will also further protect those assets even without you having to do much. Sure. So, so with um, that. Yeah. I'm going to, um, I'm going to put some slides up on the screen this time for those who are watching. Um, if you're not watching, it's okay. You'll still be able to follow along. Um, but we thought that this would be a good way to kind of go through the process of uh, listing out your assets. So let me see if I can get this to work here. There we go. All right. So, um, Really, the first thing that you want to do is to list out your digital assets. And um, that's just a list of every asset that you have. And when we talk about digital assets, we are talking about Bitcoin first and foremost. Uh, our name is Bitcoin Butlers. That's you know what we have built a lot of our processes around is owning Bitcoin. But um, we also understand that there are other digital assets out there. There are all kinds of of coins and NFTs and other tokens and investments that people are making um, all over the place these days that have nothing to do with Bitcoin. And should something happen to you, um, just because it's not Bitcoin doesn't mean that you shouldn't uh, allow your family to, to realize the value of that. So, um, so you want to list out all of your uh, digital assets by name. So if you had digital assets stored, if you had, uh, let's say Bitcoin. Let's say you bought Bitcoin with a couple of different places. Let's say you bought some Bitcoin with Strike, and you left that Bitcoin uh, on the exchange mm -hmm. for just so you could have some like spending Bitcoin. Let's say, and then you bought some other Bitcoin. Let's say with like Swan, and you have that in multi sig storage. How would you list the the multiple Bitcoin out? So I, I think you're going to want to list each thing based on its location. Um, in, in terms of Bitcoin, I would go by which wallet is it in. 
Um, mm -hmm. You might have uh, multiple wallets. You might have multiple multi-sig wallets, um, you know, and so you want to be able to say, okay, well, here's what I have sitting in this wallet or that wallet. And here is what is on an exchange. If you have, you know, if you have a recurring buying plan with a, with a Bitcoin exchange, then chances are you're not, uh, you're not always going to have Bitcoin immediately moving into cold storage. You might be accumulating a certain amount uh, in order to keep your transaction sizes reasonable and all of that type of stuff to where you're going to just want to list out every location. So I think that the location of the wallet is probably the, the deciding factor there on whether or not you list it. Right. I think if we get back into the three key principles here, they are what, as in what do you have, where, as in where is it stored, and how, as in how do I get to it. You can have two of the same what's, or three of the same what's, or four of the same what's, but uh, when you have three or four different where's, each of the different where's, meaning where are they stored, should be listed separately in that list, even if it's the same asset. Correct. The, the where is the differentiating factor because if you're using an exchange that supports multiple cryptocurrencies, not just Bitcoin, um, you, that might be a one location for your, you know, say Bitcoin, Ethereum and whatever other coin. Um, they might all be sitting on the same exchange in small amounts, um, but you're going to want to list them out because you want to show what those quantities are so that um, you know, your heirs know what to look for. Um, if you just said, go to my Gemini account, um, even though you might have multiple assets in that account that you, and that is only one where in your example, mm. um, you still need to list out all of the what's because you want to know that there's, you know, multiple assets sitting in that same, uh, exchange. Absolutely. So the, the next one, um, I skipped ahead a little here, but uh, it's um, the quantity of each asset owned. And uh, this is the quantity in denominated in that asset. So it's not, you know, I have $100,000 worth of Bitcoin in my multi-sig wallet. It's I have two Bitcoin in that wallet. And and you're going to always denominate it in the in the digital asset, not in a fiat currency. Right. Well, and if you were to do it inside the fiat currency, it would only be accurate. It wouldn't even be accurate by the time you saved your document because it, the, the prices fluctuate so much. So it doesn't really help your heirs to know in the Bitcoin example, it's, it's more helpful to know you have two Bitcoin and what they're looking for is two Bitcoin as opposed to looking for a hundred thousand in Bitcoin because price of Bitcoin could go up 10 times between now and then they could find a hundred thousand. And, and right. not get all of your Bitcoin. Either way, they're going to be disappointed because they're going to see the dollar amount and get excited or they're going to uh, see the, um, you know, or they're going to go to the uh, to the location of the asset and, and it's not going to be what it said it was. So either way, you're just better off listing the, uh, the quantity of the asset. All right, we'll go to the next one here. So the third um, thing you do on this list is what wallet are the keys stored in? Yeah, I think this one's really important. And this is where things start to get a little more complicated. So 
listing out what you own is very easy. Listing out the amount is obviously very easy. Listing out, um, actually listing out uh, the quantity is easy. The wallet is where things start to get a bit more complex because you're going to have to start to give your heir some additional information after this. But to start out, what you're really doing with these wallets is grouping a number of your assets together. So in the case of Bitcoin, maybe you only have Bitcoin in, in Bitcoin only in a particular wallet, as if you're using something like multisig, because none of the other digital assets can use multisig. But if you own any of the other digital assets, Ethereum, Cardano, et cetera, a number of them can and will be stored in the same wallet. And that wallet may even be an exchange. Right. It can either be stored on a hardware device um, for a lot of those coins, but for the most part, we'll see people that are just keeping them um, on an exchange. So like I said before, you might end up um, you know, with a brokerage account that has, um, or an exchange account that has multiple assets, um, and you can indicate that that's where they are stored. All right. The, uh, the next one, uh, whether or not we're using multi-factor authentication. Uh, so this is a, this is an interesting one. I don't think there's anything more overlooked uh, than multi-factor authentication in giving your heirs access to your digital assets. And by multi-factor authentication, we mean that a username and password is insufficient, that there's going to be an additional factor to prove that you are authorized to have access uh, to this account or to this wallet. So some of that multi-factor authentication that people are familiar with is that you may get a text code and you put in a six-digit number into the website to prove it's you. You may have an email that's sent to you where things get a little trickier and we'll get into this later because we've actually solved this is that uh, some of more and more websites now are using two-factor authentication and they're using this, uh, it's, a, it's an algorithm that generates a six-digit code. So some of the common apps used to access this are Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator. Our favorite one is one called Authy. And if you don't have this set up beforehand and your heirs do not know how to get to your multi-factor authentication, they're not going to be able to access any of your accounts. It doesn't matter if they have the username and password. This is there. This is put in place as a way to block unauthorized access. And if you don't set this up for your heirs, your heirs are going to spend a tremendous amount of time trying to bypass this and going through an extraordinary number of hurdles to get this done. So we'll get more into that later, but this one is really critical and it's really important that you, you actually log into all these accounts while you're building this list and make sure that no multi-factor authentication is needed. And if it is needed, you need to write down yes on your list. Yeah, that and uh, you uh, you said something that I was about to say, which is that one of the the key 
components of doing this is that as you're making this list, um, you should check it to make sure that whatever you're putting on the list is accessible to you at that time. Um, and if that involves um, needing to use an authenticator app, um, like Authy or Google Authenticator or whatever to get into that, um, you need to test it and make sure it works. So, you know, this piece is so critical that it's its own step in the sovereign inheritance planning process. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll dig into that in another episode, but um, it's really something that we see as, as a big piece of the puzzle. Uh, it most certainly is, and it's probably ignored uh, 99 out of 100 times, if not more. <laughs> um, all right. So the next one is the location of the wallet. Um, and that could be um, the physical location of the wallet. If it's a, if it is a hardware device, um, it can also be, um, you know, is it a wallet on your phone? Is it a wallet that's, uh, tied to some other account that you have? Um, but there are multiple locations where a wallet could reside, um, depending on what type of wallet you're referring to. So you want to make sure that it's clear that, um, you know, oh, you need to go to, um, your trusted person safe to get this wallet, or you need to go to the, um, you know, exchange account that we're going to give you access to, to access the wallet on that exchange. Um, anything yeah, else I there? Think, I, yeah, I think with the location of the wallet, it, things get a little bit trickier here because for your spouse, you might be able to go over this with your spouse and say, okay, I've got these different assets and I'm keeping it here. And you, you make this list and it lays everything out very nicely. And I do think it's a great thing to share with your spouse if you are comfortable with that. When it gets into what you're leaving to your children or other heirs, you may not necessarily want to share any of this information. So for example, let's say you have a, 16 or 17 year old son and you may or may not want to tell him that you've got a, a some kind of wallet that he can access based depending on a number of other factors um, and essentially spend these funds so you know but but when you do get into the location of the wallet I do think that that what's important is that if you are not here to explain it, would your intended audience know where to go? And you know, this is one of the things we help our clients with is that you know they think that their heirs are going to know where to go in order to find it. If I tell them that it's in you know my sock drawer under you know this pair of socks, my lucky socks that I wear for, for, you <laughs> Bitcoin know, Bitcoin socks. Yeah. Bitcoin <laughs> socks are just, you know, my lucky socks for my favorite sports team. They're not going to know where that is. So it's really important when you put that location, um, that's a place that people would know where to go. And obviously if people are doing this the right way, that location should be in their safe. Right. I, you know, most likely the location of that is going to be either, on your phone, on your computer, or on your in your safe, or in a safe. Um, and then the next would be the location of the password. Now, 
in, in many cases, the location of the password is going to be inside of your password manager, um, which is another critical piece of this that we'll do another episode on at another time. But um, we don't want to ignore the fact that in order for this to really be an efficient and effective process, you want that password manager to be in use so that um, once your heirs have the master password to your password manager and they're able to get that set up, um, whether that's through the password manager's recovery process or through um, in access instructions that you leave them, whatever it is, um, you want to make sure that that it's somewhere that that they're going to be able to get into that password manager and then be able to um, to use that password to to access the asset. Yeah, and I think we were talking before about like testing when you get in, testing your multi-factor authentication to make sure you can get in. I think when people are building this list, they obviously need to log into each of the accounts and they should be logging in using what is uh, the passwords located inside their password manager. So part of it is testing the process and then part of it is also testing your password manager to make sure that everything in there is accurate. And it's opening up the doors to those accounts. That's right. The, the big key to this is to test as you go so that you don't write something down incorrectly that makes it useless. Well, we, um, could, we could add that. I think it's a really good thing. What you, you need to list what, you need to list where, you need to list how. And I think I could add like a sub thing to that, which is test as you go. Yep. Um. And testing is also part of your annual maintenance as well. Absolutely. A very so important piece of that. We're rolling in lots of steps into just this list. Um, as well, I thought my well everything's because, tied together. You know, sure. it's hard to just segregate everything out because this thing is all kind of woven together and, and your plan will only ever be as good as the weakest link in it. And so even though you're starting early and we try and keep this simple, there are things that it's hard to give an explanation without kind of jumping ahead to some of the other steps, even though I think when we get to those, we'll go into more detail. For sure. All right. So, I mean, this is the six steps to listing your digital assets. And, um, you know, when you're done, you're going to have a spreadsheet that's going to uh, look something like this. It's just going to list out what is the asset? Um, what's the name of the asset? How much of it do you have? What, where is it located? Does it have MFA? And where's the password kept? So that's basically what you end up with um, after you list your digital assets. And um, of course, you know, we can help you uh, put together some, some easier forms and we have templates and that kind of thing. But uh, this is the, uh, the basic idea. You, you know, looking at this, looking at this piece of paper right now, or looking at this slide right now, I'm just thinking through what kind of difference would this make to your heirs, you know, kind of taking a step back from it, looking at it. And this is a game changer for someone to see a listing of everything you have. This is really just changed the entire, it changes the entire process. Uh, it takes it from like confusion and chaos to being calm and orderly. Absolutely. All right, well, let's move on to uh, to the non-digital assets. So 
in addition to listing out whatever you have in terms of digital assets, um, the next step would be to list out all of your other assets. And a lot of times these are going to be your traditional bank accounts, brokerage accounts, uh, life insurance, retirement plans, anything that you might have an online um, ID for, you know, to log in. Um, and so you'll start there by listing out the account name and the institution where it's held. Um, and, and just rather than, you know, in the, in the digital side of things, we listed out what the actual asset was here. We're going to list out where's the account that you need to access those digital assets. And then we'll get into some other assets a little bit down the road, but if you have assets that are not associated with an online um, account, um, you'll want to list those out here as well. Um, that could be things like real estate. If you have a stamp collection or a baseball card or a coin collection, um, you know, all of those types of things, any type of collectibles. Um, if you have any precious metals, jewelry, all of that kind of stuff can be listed here in your non-digital asset list. Um, and you would just want to put the name of that um, in, in the list. And you should put in there everything and anything you can think of. Even if, even if it, you don't think it has that much monetary value, if it has any value to you at all that you want someone to access it, uh, you should put it in there. And I actually have a bit of a, a funny story. So for my other company, I own a title company and we deal with wills all the time. And I've seen really, really crazy stuff listed in wills. And one of the, one of my, uh, favorite things I've ever seen listed in a will was someone left someone their velvet Elvis paintings. <laughs> so they didn't have much value. I think they had value to the person who, who I mean, was leaving. They were valuable. <laughs> they were valuable. I don't know how much you could sell them for. And uh, of all the wills I've seen, we've seen tens of thousands uh, more than that. Um, that is one of the most unique items. We've seen some other things that I can't really mention on here. Uh, <laughs> people leave really, really, really strange things. But if it has any value, if it has any meaning to you, whether it's your a special book that you had, whatever it may be that you want to pass on, that may be a bit extreme, but list, list your assets there. Don't worry about listing too much. We generally find that people list not enough. They don't think enough things are assets. Sorry to interrupt you there. No, that's fine. That was, it was a, a good example, but there are things that have sentimental value that may not have huge monetary value. And of course you want to make sure that people can get to those. And, and, you know, every family has, has different heirlooms or different pieces of memorabilia that they want to pass along. And this is the perfect place to list them. I mean, you know, I, um, my best example, I have, I had a great uncle that has the same initials as me. And so I have a pair of gold cufflinks that were his, that have his initials on them. And, you know, um, I don't have any kids with my initials, but you know, maybe I'll have a grandkid one day that whose name starts with an M and, and they'll get the cufflinks. But mm -hmm. you know, there, there are always things like that where, um, you want to just take into account things that might be, um, nostalgic or of sentimental value and, and include those. By all means. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, you know, the next thing is just to be to include the account number um, for the for those accounts, um, whether it's a bank account, brokerage account. Um, that's pretty straightforward. 
um, you know, what's what's the type of account? Is it an IRA? Is it a checking account? Is it a brokerage account? Um, whatever that is, then you'll want to list that out there. Um, similar to the other list, this is just the location of the password. Um, is it kept in your password manager? Um, is it kept on a piece of paper in your safe? Hopefully not. Um, but whatever it is, you want to be able to tell everybody where the, uh, where the password is to that account. Um, again, MFA, some of these types of accounts will um, have multi-factor authentication. A lot of them don't, or a lot of them are, you don't really have any say in how that MFA works um, in the system. For example, you know, uh, if I log into my bank account on a new device, it'll force me to use a secondary authentication, but that's just uh, typically a text code or an email code, um, not using any type of authenticator software. So um, in that case, it wouldn't be necessary, but, um, but if you are using uh, a more, well, you know, the type of multi-factor authentication that we, that we were talking about with digital assets, um, it would be the same here. And I think that when we're going through this, you know, the non-digital assets are similar to the digital assets that you should be accessing all of these accounts as you're making this list. You're Absolutely. actually going to want to access many of these accounts because it's going to tell you the value that's in there. Right. There could be things here that you haven't looked at in a long time. Maybe you have, a, you know, a retirement plan account from a former employer that you never rolled over and you just kept it, you know, sitting, sitting there growing or whatever. Uh, those are the types of things that, you know, maybe you haven't got into that in a year and a half and, and your password's expired and you got to go in and reset it and, you know, make sure it's all in order. Um, so that's what you want to be doing along the way as you're, uh, as you're setting this up. Um, the next thing is that to the extent that you have uh, human beings involved in any of these accounts, uh, you want to list those people out. So if you have a banker that you deal with, if you have a stockbroker, um, a financial advisor, uh, anybody that you know would be able to help your family, um, not just with accessing the accounts, but you know with any planning that has to happen or distributing assets, you know, using your, your legal documents after you've passed that kind of thing. Um, you might be able to use the representative to help you do that. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the more underrated or undervalued things in this. Like people may look at it and say, well, okay, well, you know, your advisor, your sales rep, like, does that really make much of a difference? And the answer is yes, it can make a huge difference because you can talk to a person. And you can say, I'm the spouse of whoever, and this is what's going on. And generally, uh, you'll find that after the death of a loved one, these advisors will be incredibly helpful, and they'll help you navigate the path forward to gaining access to those assets. Mm -hmm. You also use this later for, some, for, for your letter to your heirs, which we'll get into later as we're kind of weaving lots of things in here, but that the name of your advisor and or sales representative may not look like such an important step on here, but it really is. And it's really beneficial. Yeah. And, and the one last thing I'll say about that is you, you know, again, there may be things here that you purchased 
many, many years ago. Um, you know, I, I know that I had a, uh, a small investment that I made because some, a friend of mine, you know, when we first got out of college was, uh, doing this stuff and he convinced me to, to invest a little bit with him. And, um, and, you know, it, while it's a small, small piece of what I have, it's still there. And, you know, while it's not top of mind, um, you know, I know that my heirs could contact that person and, and probably get some help with it if they needed to, because it was before they had online accounts for sure. Um, along the same lines, name and telephone number, we probably could have combined that into one step, but. Well, and the email. Well, you know, I think that, you know, when we're trying to get people guidance, we want to be very, very specific. We don't when we say just, you know, name of your advisor, the contact information for your advisor, telephone numbers are great. Email addresses are great. The actual names are great. So as much as you can list, uh, the better. Absolutely. Cell number, even if they have a cell phone, if you if it's an advisor sure. you tend to to message with text message with. So uh the you know, uh everything you've got in order to to help your heirs contact someone that knows about your account is good. Yeah, I, actually you just made me think of something that we hadn't talked about or put in our guide, which is that, you know, maybe there is a preferred method of, of communication with that person. You know that you've got this, you know, guy who works over at Charles Schwab, who's helped you tremendously. And you know that if you, uh, if you call him, he's never there, but if you text him, he'll, uh, he'll respond back in five minutes without fail. So you may want to say, you know, text this guy if you need him. So preferred method of communication could be a sure. good one to add there. Absolutely. And again, you know, these lists are not, um, it's nothing set in stone. If there's more information that you think is important, um, or if you think there's something that's just completely irrelevant, either way, um, you know, you got to do what, what is going to make the most sense for the people that you know are going to be having to deal with this stuff when you're not there. Yeah. And I think that brings up another point, which is that as much as we're, we, we have this guide, as much as we were trying to share it with everybody, no two plans are ever the same. No, it's like they're like snowflakes. No two inheritance plans are ever identical. So it depends on how your things are structured. You know, there are different relationships you have with different people. Um, you do, you may have to adjust it. And this is one of the things we help people do is say, all right, maybe you should put something in there that where you uh, highlight the fact that it may seem weird, but I text my banker as opposed to emailing him. Right. And those are the, those are the adjustments we help people make. We, we help identify the, the nuances to that plan and, and make sure that they're communicated. So mm -hmm. for sure. Um, all right. And then uh, the last thing is just, you know, the location. Um, and especially if it's a physical asset, um, you know, that could be something as, as minor as, you know, a baseball card collection in a, in your safe. It could be, uh, an investment property that you own in another city, you know, that, uh, that's, that's got a different physical location than, than your, your residence or, or whatever. So, um, you want to just be able to list out where things are, um, especially if they're physical assets. Yeah. And there's something, um, that I'd like to add to this, 
um, now that we have this list here, actually two things I'd like to add. One of the things is really good news, which is that much of the time you may find that you discovered assets you didn't realize you had. <laughs> you just forgot about that. This process helps people uh, remember everything they have. And um, I always like it when people tell us they found things like, oh, I did this process and I found this. I, can't, I didn't even remember I had it. It's just, you know, I started listing other assets and this came to me. And so um, it's a nice process because a lot of times you end up richer than when you started. <laughs> but feeling the other when you started. But the other really important thing I want to add to the non-traditional, I'm sorry, to the traditional assets, the non-digital assets, is that, and a lot of people don't know this. If you are, if your spouse passes away and you get something known as letters testamentary, which will give you access to their account. But if you notify the bank or another financial institution that your spouse has passed away, many of them will lock the account immediately. They'll just freeze it. Yeah. Freeze it. Exactly. It's frozen. Now, that's a terrible thing if you're trying to, to gain access to their accounts, a really terrible thing. But there's something that you should do after you've made this list. Uh, and that is set up a beneficiary for all of these accounts. Now, a lot of these traditional accounts will let you set up something called a transfer on death or a beneficiary. And all you do is go through a little bit of paperwork. And you can actually say that if something does happen to me, uh, my spouse, we're going to use spouse just for the example, you know, my spouse, here's their name, has, should have access to this account. Do not, and it'll stop them from freezing it. Yeah, the um, that's an important step as well. And actually, that we that part is in here. We'll get to that in just a minute. So um, we can go back here to the to the slides. But you know, when you're done um, with those nine steps, then uh, then here's what you end up with, which is basically a listing of your non digital assets. Um, and this is obviously a sample and a in a relatively short list. It, it doesn't cover you know all the little things that we talked about that you should consider, but um, just gives you an idea, you know, if you've got brokerage, if you've got bank accounts, if you've got uh, real estate, whatever it is, um, you know, now you've got a list of it. And if, if applicable, who to contact in order to, uh, to help get to that. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I think there's a few helpful tips here. Um, the first one is, as much as we're saying be comprehensive, also keep it simple. Um, there is, uh, there's no need to overcomplicate the process. You don't want to start listing out passwords or anything like that, um, especially if you're using a password manager and if you're storing your keys to your digital assets properly, um, you're just going to need to be able to give the location of those keys um, rather than having to get into a whole lot of detail, you know, you want to keep in the back of your mind, if somebody, you know, were to get it, um, that shouldn't, how much are they going to be able to do with it? Really? Um, you know, there, there's multiple pieces to that puzzle. So, um, because of that, you just want to keep the bare minimum, um, amount of information, even though you may be listing out a, a number of assets. Yeah, I don't, you know, people, there's, there's really no need to get super complicated with things. There's just, 
you know, just listing your assets will do so much to, um, to help your heirs that this is a step that very, very few people will ever take. And, you know, there's a saying, don't let good be, uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. And I think that right. that applies here that you can just, I would relax, kind of do the best you can. Don't, don't get crazy with it. And you'll also find that most people cannot do this on a single pass, meaning they can't just sit down and list everything. Maybe they'll get most of it, but something else will pop up and all you do is go back to your list later and go add to it. Sure. Um, and, and along that line, you know, you want to try to, you do want to try to list everything. And, you know, we would, we said this before air on, on the side of, of too much information. Um, at the same time, you know, you don't have to be ridiculous about it. If you have, you know, five baseball cards that are worth a dollar each, then you don't have to list them out mm -hmm. necessarily. Um, but, um, if you've got anything that you think somebody might want, if you're not there, then you should try to list it out. Just don't make yourself crazy. Don't lose sleep over it. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Next one, utilize a password manager. Um, and we'll cover that in a, in a separate step, but um, there are a number of good password managers out there. Uh, we won't get into what the different ones are. But not only are they um, really easy to use and really just kind of slick technology in terms of how they how easy they make your life on a day to day basis. Um, there are also some of them have different features that might apply to different people. So um, so we'll get into that later on. But, you know, if you don't use a password manager. Um, then between now and the time we do that episode, you, you should uh, do yourself a favor and just start researching password managers and see if you can get familiar with the features and, and which one might be good for you. Yeah, they're absolutely critical. I mean, if, if, if you want to own digital, particularly if you want to own digital assets, um, you need a password manager. Some people, I use it for all of my passwords, uh, I think that's that's a best practice, but for people that don't want to do it that way or aren't as disciplined, you may have to keep 10, 12 accounts in here, depending on on where your assets, you know, how, what your financial situation looks like. But but for the things that you have listed on both your digital asset list and your non-digital asset list, if they require a password, that password needs to be in a password manager and needs to be kept current. That's right. The other thing is that what it really stops you from doing is using uh, weak passwords or forgetting passwords. Those are, you know, two of the most common things for people who, who log into something on their computer every day is that either their password is not a strong password. Um, so it'd be easy for somebody to, to hack it. Um, and, you know, the other one is that, um, Well, you want to make sure that, you know, you're, you want to make sure that your passwords are not handwritten because those can cause a, a significant right. problem. You're, 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 you're going to rely on people to read your handwriting. And the, the crazy thing about passwords is, is that if you enter the wrong password three times, that account may be locked. 
So right, and and that's a, that was that was my other point when I lost my train of thought. But yeah, that you know, passwords that are passwords that are weak and passwords that um, that you might forget. And then if you forget a password, um, it's a lot more difficult for someone else to to be able to to get into it if if you don't know the password. So. Um, Setting up beneficiaries is, uh, you know, what you were just talking about that with uh, with your traditional logins and your bank accounts and brokerage accounts, most of these will allow you to uh, to set up a beneficiary or a transfer upon death type of provision where if something happens to you, it's going to um, it might not make it um, instant for that person to, to get into. But with some paperwork and with some, you know, with a clear path. Um, they'll be able to uh, to get into your account. Um, and then the other piece on the, of that is that when it comes to Bitcoin, if you're using multi-sig storage as you should, um, there are multi-sig service providers out there. Um, the two that we talk about the most are Unchained and Casa. And both of those uh, do have the ability to set up beneficiaries and to put processes in place so that um, if your spouse or heirs or other beneficiaries need to get to your Bitcoin, they'll be able to do that um, with the right paperwork and the right process. Right. And one thing I'd like to add to that is that just because regarding the multi-sig uh, providers and the beneficiary setup, that just because you have named a beneficiary to one of those accounts, um, they're still going to have to have access to keys that uh, the, 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 the security behind this doesn't matter if I'm just going to use Casa, for example, if Casa knows that um, my wife is my beneficiary, they're fine with that. She can contact them. They can help her. She provides her a certain amount of documentation and has my key or keys with her. If she doesn't have access to those keys, there's nothing they can do to help. So uh, the reason I say this, I don't want people to have a false sense of security. They say, well, if I go to Casa or if I go to Unchained, they have, a, they have beneficiaries set up for me. So I don't really have to worry about where, you know, I don't have to worry about some of this other stuff. I don't really have to worry about password managers. I don't have to worry about where the keys are kept because regardless, even if they wanted to help you with this, they could not help you if you do not have uh, the right keys or passwords to access your Bitcoin. That's right. It doesn't um, necessarily get give you the ability to distribute the assets, but it does play an important part in making the as access to those assets a lot easier. Yes, and it's um, it's it's definitely great to have. And um, you know, if people were to. I would say that if there were three key takeaways from from this episode, it would be list your assets, use a password manager, and any accounts where you can set up a beneficiary or transfer on death, put the time in now. It's a one-time shot. Once you set it up, you never, ever have to do it again, unless, of course, your beneficiary changes. Right. All right, Matt. So with that, can you tell people where to find us? Yes. Um, you can go to our website at btcbutlers.com. Uh, we are on Twitter 
at BTC Butlers. Our email is info at btcbutlers.com. Um, you're welcome to email us there. If you uh, enjoyed this, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or our podcast on whatever podcast service you're listening to. Um, and if you have any questions or you'd like help with uh, sovereign inheritance planning or any of the other Bitcoin best practices, including buying, storing, setting up your own node um, and keeping everything up to date, we can help you with any of that. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you very much. And until next time, bye-bye. See you later.